Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland, and I am joined by... Ellison Weiss, a.k.a. The Book Bully. Yes, once again for the third annual Summer Reading Podcast. Woo-hoo. So Dimity's off giving a talk in Boulder, and she had the brilliant idea to invite Ellison back. So I'm so pleased she could join. Thank you. Yes, yes. So I'm going to admit up front, I have not been doing much reading this summer. Shame on you. <laughs> I know. And here, you know, it's like... Some some mother runners were so nice. They sent me books when I was recouping from my fractured ankle, and I was very deeply moved by that. And I don't know. I think I'm so excited to be outside that now after dinner, when I typically might read, I go outside and I often needlepoint. Okay. All right. As a fellow, as a knitter and a fellow needlepointer, I can get on with that. But there are a lot of good ones that there. you need to pick up. All right. Okay. Well, with that, let's you know, let's uh, dive into that. But wait, wait. Before we get there, Allison, I say we talk about what we did for workouts today because okay. I am intrigued by the fact that you are running less. Um, yes. Because there was a while even. So, okay, give us, for people who haven't heard the the previous shows you've been on, tell us how long you've been a runner for. I've been running pr- fairly consistently for about 38 years now, and I'm 58. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know how that is that you can be 58. I just don't. I just oh, God don't understand you. how that God happened. Bless you. Yeah. And uh, I've noticed in the last probably two to three years that uh, my speed has really dropped, as has my endurance, dramatically. And so are you just not happy going out if you're not going to be able to go fast or far? I was in the beginning. uh, It was a real, you know, it was a real uh, hit to my, you know, morale. And now what what I'm doing is just... consistently trying to do my best, do what feels good, and uh, try to leave my ego at the door. Because for a while you had you had given up running for or, or left it by the side for a I while. I did. I did for about six months, but I think um, I just have a passion for it. I love it uh, like, like you do, and mm-hmm. it's very hard to let go of that, so I've just had to change my expectations. And when during that six months where you were not running, what were you doing for exercise? A lot of walking. Mm-hmm. Oh, a lot of walking. The <laughs> yeah. voice goes down. The mood drops. <laughs> and as you and I have talked about, the main thing, uh, the main concern with that uh, is that it takes so long. It takes so long yeah. to go. And, and there's so many places that I want to see. And I think, well, gosh, that would take me a really long time to walk there. Exactly. And I don't want to drive there, you know, like, oh, I think I'll go drive on the upper part of Willamette Boulevard because it's so pretty overlooking the river. It's like, no, that's not the same as running on it. Nope. And not to take away from anything, uh, I I truly believe that, you know, you can combine the run walking, which is what I had to do to get back into the running. Mm -hmm. And that was for somebody that, you know, had run 40 to 50 miles a week for a while. That was... Mm -hmm. And I should mention that you qualified for Boston in your first marathon with perhaps that not even being an explicit goal. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so at age forty-eight. Yes. So you were you had a you have a natural gift of speed. I or tenacity and grit. Maybe tenacity and grit. Well, there you go. And yeah. good, good genes. Yes. Good genes. And you are tiny. So. Um, you just keep it. Keep it up. Like, I'll be paying for lunch. <laughs> So that's how I enticed you on the podcast with with free lunch food. <laughs> so, and I myself will be doing walk run when I come back to running, which I hope to get the clearance for tomorrow from my doctor. Um, 
and we'll see we'll see but um yeah so i actually went i went fitness walking on monday morning good and i um wasn't content just to go out there and you know walk my three miles or whatever so i threw in five hill repeats excellent and um, I'll talk about it later, but I was in, so entranced by the audiobook that I was listening to. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes. Oh. So, um, yeah, so I did that. But then this morning for the second week in a row, Molly, my running partner and I, we went to um, her gym and did a 45-minute spinning class. And then she took off for work and I stayed and swam for about a half hour. So um, it was so enjoyable. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're getting back there. I am, and I'm, I'm pleased, and I like that spinning, you know, you can be right next to someone, but you don't have to necessarily be doing the same RPMs or the same wattage or whatever, and, you know, but I did feel my competitive nature coming out when I was looking at other people's, you know, their little readouts, because I, it, it had been such a long time since I'd been spinning that I was unaccustomed to having readouts on them before. It was just this, you know, knob that you'd just be like, harder, easier, you know, you don't know, and you don't know, oh, the person next to me, how hard they're going or anything. So this way you can see what level they're on and see what their output is. And so I like to compare myself to the guys actually in class. Cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, super fun. But yeah, because I think about that. I, I think often I'll see somebody walking or I'll meet somebody at a party or at the sidelines of a soccer match and they are former runners who have switched to walking and i just always wonder how hard that transition is i just it's tough it's tough um you see somebody and this would happen to me i would see somebody running Mm -hmm. and it it would the old fire would come back it's like Mm -hmm. the fire in the belly Mm -hmm. um and i think for some of us it's very very hard to let the running go yeah, and I just I met um, a mom at Daphne's soccer practice the other day, and she had said she had a um, plantar fascial tear, Ooh. and she was married to I think an orthopedic surgeon or some somebody who knows knows his stuff like that, and so she when I got to the um, Daphne's field um, has a nice track around it, and so and she was walking really well, like great form, great speed, you know, really knew what she was doing, and. And I say that as a person who worked at Walking Magazine for four years. So I like to say that I have my BA in walking. Um, so um, so when I walked over, then by the time um, I got over to the you know, sideline, she was watching her daughter playing. And I was like, oh, you know, you walk really well. And I said, I worked at Walking Magazine. So that, you know, I know what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I'm not just saying you didn't trip. Um, so... So she was saying how she used to be a runner and now she's a walker and she said she is, I drilled her about it and she said she's perfectly content walking. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. Could I like buy that attitude off of you? You know, if the, when the day comes for me when I can't run anymore. Yeah. Um, and Daphne actually asked me that out of the blue this morning. She said, mom, how long, how much longer do you think you'll be a runner? Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of didn't. So I was like, oh, I hope for a long time. And she said, oh, she said, will you be running when you're 60? And I said, I better be still running when I'm 60. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that doesn't seem like all that far away. Well, it's uh, very short from where I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, but, but then before the podcast, you're saying that you're checking out CrossFit gyms. I've thought about it. I've had uh, a neighbor who wants me to go to her gym, says that the folks are extremely nice. They modify. They don't push the paleo hard. But 
every time I look at it, uh, everybody's at least 20 years younger than me, um, yet I've heard that as far as building strength and endurance, uh, it's fantastic. So I'd love, you know, to get some input from other people about CrossFit. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I also have talked to a masseuse who says, thank God for CrossFit. They make up 50% of her, <laughs> of her clientele. clientele because they're constantly screwing up their back. And That's what I was going to ask you, that my fear about CrossFit, other than that I'm totally intimidated because I would not be able to do any of the moves, right. is... I'm worried I'd get hurt. That's that's with me. I've got a hinky lower back. I'm not the most coordinated person in the world. Yeah, those box jumps. I mean, I just think I'm going to have like a box sandwich and just kunk on that. That's the... exactly right. Burpees intimidate me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And pull-ups, forget about it. Unless I'm on your shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's, yeah, how... that's it. Does it qualify for both of us then that we've done a pull-up? Now we're on to something. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I just worry that and all that, exp- I mean... All that explosive power, I just worry it would be tough on my tendons and sort of makes my ankle hurt just thinking about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So proceed with caution, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but let's not proceed with caution as we talk about books. Exactly. Let's go. Okay. So you're going to crack your knuckles? I thought maybe you were putting your, pulling your hands together. No, I'm just getting into my (laughs) uh, Zen position. Your Zen. I'm going to talk about books now. Um, So as I was saying, I have not been reading very much, so... um, So luckily, I can always count on you for having read a lot of books. Um, So and one of the books, the first book that you want to recommend is one that is it's a sequel. Right. And uh, you and I both loved the first one. I think we recommended it last year. It's Kate Atkinson's Life After Life. Exactly. And so that was the book that I just adored. Oh, yes. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. So compelling. And I love the interweaving of history in it and just... Oh, I was captivated by that. So when I'd read some of other Kate Atkinson books and, and enjoyed them. So then I was like, sweetness, there's a sequel, A God in Ruins. And I picked it up and gosh, I couldn't get past about the first 25 pages. Really? really? So so talk me into going back to it. I think you need to go back to it because uh, it's, it is a sequel to the first one, but it's a sequel with a twist. And she really focuses more on Ursula's brother, Teddy. Mm-hmm. And once you get into it, I found that Teddy himself is a very compelling character. Um, he reminded me a lot of their father. Mm. Um, he's sweet. There's a sweetness about him. And his story, and for those who have read Life After Life, um, will be wondering why we're reading Teddy's story at all. But his story is is an extremely well-plotted one. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some side characters that are good. And I think if you continue to stay with it, especially into the middle of the book, um, it's, it's well worth it. Uh, also with you, with the historical end of it, the way they talk about the RAF pilots mm-hmm. and what they went through, their training and their actual... Um, expeditions it's fascinating because the 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 part that i the it talk talks so much about birds what was the type of bird that they talked about was it i can't remember like see i march or a, i right. don't know something and I, it was just like oh my gosh i felt like i was like deep inside a arboretum or not an arboretum well, audubon book right. or something and no disrespect to the audubon but i was like yeah this wasn't what i signed up for and that's what i think you have to sort of push forward and you mm-hmm. know me a lot of times if a book doesn't catch me within 40 or 50 pages i toss it to the side mm-hmm. this one it's it's worth it just to press forward okay, so, so i hope like, you give it another choice. it's like that chance. that tough first mile of a run just exactly. get through it and exactly. then it'll, it'll start to feel good exactly and, yes all right very good okay okay so then 
your the next um, book that you wanted. It's another novel. Um, it is a debut novel by Maggie Mitchell called Pretty Is. Yes, and this is a alert to all the Gone Girl fans because mm-hmm. I think this, while it's a more quiet book than that one is, was, is um, it's still got the the theme of you know two young girls who are abducted uh, by the same man and are kept uh, for, during the summer, uh, but the book doesn't always focus on that. What it focuses on is twenty years later oh. when each one of these girls has gone their separate ways, but suddenly. Uh, a movie script pops up mm. uh, that's extremely familiar, and one of the young girls, who's sort of a B-rated actress, is actually going to play a part in this movie script, and she realizes that it is spot on uh, about the summer that she and the other gal uh, were kidnapped. And so uh, the book toggles between making of this movie and what's happened to these young women uh, 20 years down the road, but it also uh, opens a window into a very, very different type of kidnapping. Oh, huh. That sounds almost sort of topical. I mean, sort of if people think back on the, the those women who were kidnapped, was it in Cleveland? Was yes. That where it was? And, yeah. And, you know, just some of those cases and um, but this is a this has a has a twist to it that I think a lot of readers will find very interesting. It's a little bit more cerebral um, mm-hmm. than you would expect from the uh, the subject matter, mm-hmm. um, but I think Mitchell is is a writer to to watch. Oh, interesting! And that, in a way, reminds me of one of my favorite novels of probably the past decade, which is Room. Yes, um, yes. And are you remembering the the name of that novelist? Uh, Emma Donahue. Oh, there you go. Good call. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean that was that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, again, a, a woman who'd been abducted, and it was the first half is her in that room with this child and, and uh, having the child think that that is the entire world. Exactly. That, that, that nothing else outside of that room yeah. exists. Yeah, and that, that book I always uh, want to say to people that had a hard time getting into it because of the language, that's another one that I really hope that people uh, would would stay with Oh, because, like you and I both thought, it was just That book, I just, I, I mean, I, I don't even know how many years ago I read that book. I mean, I read it when it first mm-hmm. came out, so... I don't I mean, know. I think it's about five or six years old. Yeah. yeah. And and I still think about that book. Yeah. So um, so then um, the final novel that you're going to talk about is by a writer some people may have heard of. Um, <laughs> that would be uh, Mr. Stephen King. Oh, yes. <laughs> Mr. Mercedes. And here I want to say, thank God he's back, because you and I, I think, both really enjoyed some of his early work. Um, I was a huge, Miss, you know, Stephen King fan back oh, in my twenties. Oh. Um, really, really, just read everything he put out. Mm-hmm. And then for me, he went through a period, you know, the westerns, uh, a couple of his other novels, and he just lost me. It, Wait, where did you? Where did he lose you? Because he lost me after Cujo. God, I can't remember the exact moment. Um, Cujo, I read and enjoyed. Uh, but I can't, I can't remember where he lost me, but he it, really, it just, I just dropped oh, off the radar. Oh, I mean, all the wheels fell off the bus at the exact same That's time exactly for me. That's exactly right. And I mean, I, as a teenager, I could not get enough Stephen King. Ghetto. I, I mean, just ate at morning, noon, and night. I remember that when I went and looked at colleges, my parents let me go by myself to look at three colleges. They let me drive from Connecticut to um, Colgate Hamilton and Middlebury, mm-hmm. and um, I brought along a collection of short stories, and I want to say it was called 
different seasons or something like that. It was, and oh my goodness, when I was at Hamilton College, so it was during the summer, I stayed in a dorm where they let um, sports teams stay. And so it was just huge bunk rooms with huge bathrooms. I was the only person there and it was a massive thunder and lightning storm. I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> just like, lay there and then had to, of course, go to the bathroom during the middle of the night. So I'm like, okay, something's going to grab me from underneath the bunk. Right. And then when I go that's to the right. bathroom, something will grab me from one of the stalls. Red rum, red rum. And so then the trying to go back to sleep. But um, yeah, so I mean, I just, but I mean, like the stand. I mean, I've actually been thinking of rereading the stand. I think that is one of just the most genius novels ever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, well, I you think know. then you're going to like uh, Mr. Mercedes. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that one. Uh, that one is, it starts off with a bunch of people lined up outside of a um, uh, job fair. A job fair. And they I get read a little a, bit on Amazon. A ton of them. Oh, all right. You're allowed. <laughs> Several of them get mowed down by a mask man in a, a large Mercedes who hmm. then escapes. Hmm. And um, the book toggles between this young man, Brady, who they uh, show right from the beginning, and a uh, retired policeman, Bill Hodges, who actually worked on the case, which has gone unsolved. And uh, now that he's retired, his life is sort of meaningless, but Brady decides to anonymously get in touch with him and essentially sort of tease him Mm. about the fact that he is Mr. Mercedes. So Bill goes uh, sort of under the radar with two very uh, different sidekicks who are interesting characters and attempts to flush Brady out. Mm. And it's another one of these fast-paced Stephen King thrillers. I, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's as much of a horror book as it's a thriller. Mm-hmm. And also, the interesting thing, it's the first in a trilogy. Mm, love a good trilogy. So, there's you know there's more to come. So In fact, the second book has just been released. Oh, well, right, because Mr. Mercedes is now in paperback. Exactly. And mm-hmm. the second book is called Finders Keepers, and it was released last month. Nice, nice. Um, and so, because I had picked up Stephen King, I had returned to Stephen King again after decades for mm-hmm. 1963, which I thought had some real, it was gripping for quite a long time, and then I thought it got kind of wobbly. Yeah, yeah. I lost interest before you did in that one. I finished it, but that mm-hmm. was another one that I just feel like he missed the mark. Mm-hmm. And then do we... Th- What do you think? you think he's going to be able to hold your interest through the trilogy? Because I have to say, I think about The Passage. And remind me again, who are we going to have to... Uh, Justin Cronin. Look at you. Whoa, bing, bing, bing. 58 in memory, (laughs) as sharp as a tack. I am envious. I can't even remember the difference between Audubon and Arboretum. Uh, uh, um, That, you know, The Passage. My goodness. Oh, yes. I was... Just so riveted in that. I didn't open the New York Times for like a week because every meal, instead of, you know, reading the New York Times over breakfast like I do every day, it's like, I must read the passage. And then at lunchtime, I'm going to read it again. I thought you and Jack were fighting over your copy. (laughs) (laughs) Hiding it from each other. We would. We would. And, and, uh, you know, I felt like that one, you know, the second half of the passage didn't quite cap. I mean, the first 200 pages of the passage, I just think are just genius. Just genius. And then the second book, I don't even remember what the name of it is, nope. and I was just meh, not happening. I don't for even me. think I got through the first fifty pages of the second one. Oh yes, I'm. I don't even think I got past thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. trilogies are tricky. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Not everything can be the Hunger Games. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's a, if John were here, that's what he'd say. <laughs> and then he'd go on to quote it. <laughs> did I tell you that um, uh, when I did uh, my reading at Powell's in March for Tales from Another Mother Runner, um, the uh, I said, oh, and you know, this is a trilogy, and John's sitting off to the side, and he goes, like the Hunger Games! <laughs> Great! <laughs> Who needs a PR? <laughs> I was like, yes, dear, just yes. like the Hunger Games. <laughs> so, and then the final book that you want to talk about is a uh, nonfiction, yes? Memoir. Yes, a memoir. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that it's one. It's called uh, uh, The Light of the World, and it's by the poet Elizabeth Alexander. And as you know, I am not a memoir fan. I Mm -hmm. typically find them a little too self-absorbed and uh, woe is me. But Alexander's memoir is perfection. Uh, It takes a subject, a very sad subject, the early death of her husband at age Mm -hmm. 50, I believe 50, uh, sudden death, and uh, moves it into this tribute to him and to their marriage. But... It does so in a way that is very readable, very compelling, and at times the language is just exquisite. Mm. Um, and it is not what I would call a downer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a celebration of his life. It does uh, speak to to death and to grief. Um, but I was just completely blown away by this book, and I really, really think it deserves a lot of readership. I think it would be absolutely wonderful for book clubs. Oh, interesting. And and had you ever read any of Alexander's poetry? A little, some of it. Before um, you picked this up? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. A, a, just a couple, but I'd, I'd really like to go back and uh, read more of it now. She's an amazing writer, and she takes a subject that I think is extremely tricky mm-hmm. and just trans, transforms it into something beautiful. Mm. I'm thinking I might need to pick that up for my best friend, Chalkley, whose ex-husband died suddenly yes. in his 40s. Yes. Um, so I think that might resonate with her. So now I sound like just an absolute lollyhead and um, so trivial because of what I what I was really completely engrossed in listening to on my walk is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. By, okay. um, is this a joke? <laughs> it is not. Gosh, I, sound, I do. I sound so shallow. And just... no, I hear everybody says it's fantastic. Yeah, and so that's by Seth Graham Smith, who is really the the genius and the genius who started this whole mashup um, genre. I, I, we can call it a genre, yeah. can't we? So, um, so his first one was I just loved Pride and Prejudice and, and Zombies. And so, which is being made into a movie that comes out next February, and I will be right there watching that movie. Dear God. <laughs> You're almost literally <laughs> holding your tongue. I am. <laughs> and um, so, yes, yeah, so I started listening to Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter again because, um, okay, so we got the history, and I right. realize it's not historical, but it does Thank have you. true his- historical elements in it somewhat. Okay. Um, and also, I. And one of the most diehard Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans you could ever hope to meet. And so it really harkens back to my love of that and the whole, um, I don't know. I'm going to take your word for this <laughs> yeah. and remain silent. <laughs> yes. So, so I started listening to it on the walk and then suddenly realized, oh, well, on the drive home from dropping the kids off at camp, I can listen to it. And while I make their birthday cake, I can listen to it and unpack the groceries. And pretty much every opportunity I can, I have been listening to it. And 
it, it you know it's um because of because of the tiny historical sense in there and also i feel there's a theme in there you know so that fighting vampires sets him up to fight slavery you know and so um you know i mean his through through time vampires have obviously stood for things wow the look of incredulous <laughs> i'm i'm trying to make the stretch here <laughs> yeah. um that you know vampires obviously signify things they're not just right. the undead um, so, yes. So, I, you know, if you're looking for um, an audible.com download, I would suggest Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. So. And I would suggest Station Eleven. Oh, Station Eleven. Yes. Exactly. So, I have I have been very eager to read that. Not eager enough to buy it. So, I'm on the list, the wait list from Multnomah County Library. And it's mighty long. But a lot of Mother Runners have tweeted to me and said how much I'd like that. And You would. And it's so, it's so Odd, I think, that I love apocalyptic novels, yet the idea of the apocalypse horrifies me. Then this one's going to be tough because I don't usually care for apocalyptic novels, and this one kept me up at night. Oh, yeah. And the reason being is I think it was the first novel of that ilk that I've read that I could really see happening. Oh, huh. Mm, uh oh, that's not good. That's, oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the, the the last one that I can think of that well, the two last ones that kept me up were The Road, obviously by Cormac McCarthy, oh. and the other post-apocalyptic or somewhat in the apocalyptic is The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker, and that's several years old. But that one just another like Room that that really really stayed with and me. And that one I believe is a debut and very mm-hmm. impressive. Incredibly impressive. Yes. Yes, so, and then you had one more. I have one more that's a surprise for you. Oh! Right up your alley, somebody that I know you love. Uh, Guess who has a new book coming out November 3rd? Oh. John Irving. Oh, my goodness. Although, I have to admit, I mean, talk about about someone that I could not get enough of in my teenage years. Both his books and looking at him. Right. Hubba, hubba, don't care that he's shorter than I am. Um, yeah, and, old man. Uh, yeah, of a great head of hair. Yeah, oh, yeah, my goodness. Yeah. Um, so um, I have not read his last book, even though I heard him read from it and got a signed copy. Yeah, the last book didn't really receive uh, as much praise as some of his former ones. This one, uh, I haven't read any reviews, but it's called Avenue of Mysteries, and it deals with a young woman who supposedly has second sight. And what I have read, uh, people are saying that it's very reminiscent of uh, what they call, you know, Vintage John Irving. Oh, so, you! Oh, that you're speaking my so, love language now. Right. Vintage that's, John Irving. That's well, we can only hope. So, yes, because yeah. I have to say that. So when I was out visiting my parents earlier this month, I came across my original copies of The World According to Garp in the Hotel in Hampshire. Right. And I brought them back out here so they Good would be you. close by. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my gift to you. November third. <laughs> nice, nice. Something to look forward to. So, Ellison, I think listeners could understand that I, you and I could talk about books for the rest of the afternoon, but we are bringing on a guest, or I'm bringing on a guest, Molly Sheridan, who is the mother of three grown children, an ultra-marathoner, and owner of Desert Sky Adventures, which is a race management company in Las Vegas. And in the past decade, Molly has run more than 50 ultra-marathons, including the Badwater and La Ultra, the High, which is a 138-mile race in the Himalayas, which newsflash is at very high altitude. Um, and she has chronicled her adventures in a book called Running Past Midnight, which was our most recent AMR running and reading club choice. 
So, and Molly's website, I want to make sure that I give that before we um, take a quick break, is her website is mollysheridanruns.com. So, but as I said, first we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor. Molly Sheridan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Good, good. So you, you didn't start running until the age of 48. So what prompted you to start and, you know, what did you do for exercise before you hit that age? Well, at the age of 48, I was at a zero, really a zero with any type of exercise or working out. And my girlfriend called me, Kylie Johnson from Virginia. I was in Nevada. And she called and said, how would you like to run a marathon? And I said, no, how awful. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded horrible. Like, oh, how far is that? Anyway, she goes, oh, no, let's do it. Come on, it'll be fun. You know, let's run a marathon. And I said, no. I said, Kylie... You're out of your mind. That sounds awful. And I hung up the phone. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, I did. I just said, okay, see you later. Huh? And I thought, oh, poor Kylie's having a nervous breakdown. She's running a marathon. <laughs> and it was really strange because I was haunted all night. Seriously haunted. I, I started thinking, what have I done for exercise and nothing? I was working full time, three kids, super busy. And you know what? Frankly, I was lethargic. I was tired all the time. I felt physically awful. And the only reason I called her back the next day was to ask her about the fun part. How can you equate and have fun and marathon in the same sentence? Well, so what was her, what was her I answer? I called her back. I said, what's the fun part? And she goes, oh, my gosh. We're, she goes, oh, my gosh, we're going to have so much fun. It's going to be a chick weekend, you know. It's going to be <laughs> so fun. We're going to go to the Marine Corps Marathon. It's six months away in October. We can train. We'll have a blast. And she she was weaving this this idea of fun and exercise, which had was new concept to me. It was totally an unusual concept. And I started thinking, okay, I can do fun. You know, I can go to a party <laughs> for the weekend. <laughs> I can party. I, got, I can do a marathon. I, no worries. And I got, that's how I got sucked into, you know, because personally I didn't, I thought running sounded horrible. Who wants to do that? Oh my gosh. But it sounds like you changed your mind pretty quickly because According to your book, Running Past Midnight, you made the jump from from doing one basically six hour marathon to doing ultras. So like seems like yeah. some people take kind of a, a middle step there, maybe a few other marathons, something <laughs> like that. I mean, well, you made a leap. Why? Why is that? <laughs> well, it even surprised me because from somebody um, who had no athletic background, I don't I, I I think I'm a pretty average person, actually very average. I think anybody can do what I did. It's just that when I. A couple things happened. A couple things happened. One thing that happened was that when I started training for that very first marathon, like that first mile out, I'm dying. Okay, first of all, this it, I really had to really search for the fun. Okay, I was on the search for fun. And so in my search, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no coach. I had nobody, but Kylie's on the East Coast, you know, telling me how much fun we're going to have. So I... I got a stress fracture since I didn't know what I was doing. I, I had no background. And when I went to the doctor, the doctor said, what are you doing? You have a stress fracture on your ankle. And I said, oh, I'm training for this marathon. And he goes, how old are you? Huh. And I thought that was an odd question. I said, well, you know, getting close to 50, you know. And he goes, oh, you're too old to be running. Mm. Pick a different sport. Pick a different doctor is what I say. Pick a different doctor. But you know, the funny thing is it was the catalyst that really, I think, 
I was just like so horrified. First of all, I was horrified that he was giving that advice. And second, you know, I know that there's, there's women that would listen to that advice. And, mm. and I knew that that was not, that there is no way that 50 is old or 60 or 70, excuse me for exercise and health and fitness. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, that, I think that defining moment was when I said, you know what? And I told him, Hey, look, you can't tell me that now I have this goal. I'm doing it. You know, how can you support me? And he goes, well, you, you look what you've done to yourself. He goes, you're done. And so I, I left his office and then I ended up doing that marathon. And honestly, the marathon expanded my mind Mm. because I thought here I am an average person, but we had a blast. We had so much fun. It was the Marine Corps marathon. We, we were dancing at every band at every corner. We took forever to finish, but we didn't care because that wasn't the goal. The goal was just to finish. And we just had a blast. And when I finished that, and I crossed the finish line, a little voice in my head said, I wonder how far you can go. Mm. You know, how far can you go? So, and because to me, I never thought I could ever do that. I just, I just never, and so I signed up for 50K (laughs) 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 to see how far I could go. What the heck, you know, hey, this is interesting, you know? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And it was, it was actually fun. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So you used the word average a couple times in that response. And, and it reminded me of, um, I love these lines in your books. In your book, I am an average mom who did something out of the ordinary because I summoned all the energy I used as a mother and turned that to running. To run in impossible circumstances, I needed patience, the endless patience a mother needs when raising her kids. I needed mental strength, the strength a mom needs when she has to deal with a child's illness. A mother seldom uses her talents for herself. She gives and gives and gives. She can forget that she is a powerhouse of wisdom and strength. And I just love that powerhouse of wisdom and strength assertion. So kind of talk more about that and how how it fuels your running and how, you know, and how you stepped up to the 50K and then, you know, the bad water and and all the other amazing races you've run. Okay, that's that's really interesting that you pulled that out of my book because that really is the essence of my book. It's not about running. It's about really motherhood about finding your inner strength. And mm-hmm. I felt like, I felt like I was a pretty good mom. At least I really tried to be a, you know, a pretty balanced mom, really focused. My kids are everything to me. I have three awesome kids. They're grown now. I totally enjoyed every stage from babies. You know, I remember when I had teenagers and they're saying, people said, Oh, you have teenagers. And I go, teenagers are awesome. You know, you have mm-hmm. to reel them in every now and then, but teenagers are often, and there's so many things that you're put to test as a mom, as you know, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, with patience and with really, you have to pull it all out and you're pulling it all out for these little guys at home. Mm-hmm. And I really thought about that a lot when I was running, because for example, when I was uh, went to the Sahara Desert and I was doing Marathon de Saab, it's 150 miles through the Sahara Desert. I had hopped on a plane, didn't know anybody at this race. It's a French race. The French put it on. <laughs> I just, you know, again, I was testing myself at that time. And there was a little bit of build up there in my book. It talks about how I got to that point, hopping on a plane. But, you know, honestly, I, the only skills I felt like I was really good at it was motherhood. And I pulled out all the stops, man. I had to really kind of gut it out, uh, have lots of patience out there when you're trying to get to the finish line every day. You had to to do a different distance. You know, it's a stage race, so you have to get to a distance. And it was probably the, at that time, the most challenging thing I'd ever 
physically, mentally mm-hmm. had to, uh, attempt. And, you know, the men, you don't realize how much mental energy goes into raising kids until you're in that spot when you're up all night, when you have a sick kid, when you're trying to figure out what their needs are and you're ripping your hair out and you have to go days on end. I mean, that's a lot of mental strength that women get that they don't even realize that they have that until they have to go through it. And, you know, you don't have a choice. You have to gut that out. So I think that's what I meant in my book, I was calling it all out, out there in the Sierra Desert going, okay, I have been through tough spots and I have handled a lot. So let's, let's see how, how far I can go with what I've learned in my life so far. Right, right, right. So, and I was intrigued in one part of your book when you talked about the ancient Oaks 100 mile race down in Florida. And I just, (laughs) I was wondering, I mean, it sounded so torturous and so unpleasant. And I just wondered what makes you keep going back to races like that. Like I can see doing it once and be like, Nope, not going back there again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because it's true. You know, it's funny though, but every time, every race, you always take something and learn something from the experience. You're always a different person when you, from the time you start that race to when you finish it, no matter where you finish it, if it's in the middle and, and it's not the finish line, or if it's, you know, however far you get, you always are a different person. You, you learn so much. And that one to me was just kind of a, there's just something about the energy at that place at ancient Oaks and the enchanted forest in Florida. It's a unique environment it's kind of a weird place but it's magical so when i go over here honestly i'm i don't know all i can say that it 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 does something positive for me and even though it's um it can be uncomfortable and it's unusual little forest i always i always bring something back for myself that empowers me wow that's great that's great so we put out the um, request to have some mother runners from our tribe give us some questions. And Heather, who's preparing for her first ultra 50K, wants to know what advice you'd give to newbie ultra runners. My first advice and the priority of the race is to have fun. It's all about the journey. I mean, I, and this is coming for me as somebody who really I, I love the journey I love the grand adventure I can't go out there uh, with the intention of you know making it so uncomfortable especially a first ultra since you're going into unknown territory I think you should take speed out of the equation that's mm. my personal advice the advice is to finish and hey if you're going so well and your speed is great and you know then still take it easy. And then the last five miles, give it all you got to go as fast as you can. But personally, I just think people should really go for the adventure and be comfortable. And when they finish that event, they should be able to go out that night and have a good time and visit with their friends and not be totally wiped out. That's my advice. Good one. Good one. And, and so would that include also the walking parts of it? I mean, I think some people think, Oh, a 50 K hundred K, whatever. How can I run 31 miles or 62 miles or whatever it is, but there's a lot of walking involved in ultra racing, isn't there? There is, there's a lot of walking. It's a uh, walk, uh, speed walk up hills. Um, unless you're a really elite athlete that is gifted with speed. And, um, there's some really amazing athletes out there that, you know, they, they win them. They're fast. They're strong. Um, but, 
I relate to the average person that's maybe trying it for the first time or, or the recreational athlete who wants to really test themselves, then to me, the best way to test yourself is really walking the uphills, run the downhills, make it a comfortable pace, mm-hmm. make it, you know, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So then, so then I'm not sure that you hit rough patches because you talk so much about the fun of ultra running, but I was wondering, <laughs> wondering if you had some tips for um, listeners about pulling yourself out of a rough patch during a race. I mean, and for the listeners, it doesn't even have to be uh, an ultra, you know, it could be a 10K or a half marathon, whatever it is. But, um, you know, you really took it to the extreme during your that race in Auburn, California that you describe in the chapter Jane's 50 mile race. So, right. you know, what what can you share with us about pulling your mind out of that bad place that it goes to sometimes in a race? Um, well, my first advice is never quit because you're tired. Mm. Okay. Because you can overcome being tired. You can overcome those rough passages. You can overcome like bottoming out. If you just, um, even if it's a, a, a 10 K or half marathon marathon, doesn't matter the distance. You just have to slow it down, get your breath under control, really calm yourself, take deep breaths, keep walking. Um, you need to get your second win and your third win and your fourth win sometimes in these events. And it's, you know, drink, you know, have something to drink, drink have an electrolyte drink with you in a handheld water bottle that you're going to take some time, 10 minutes and really calm yourself down and regroup and one foot in front of the other. It's as simple as that. I've seen so many people quit uh, and give up because they feel like they're so exhausted that they can't go on. But the truth is, you can go on. You really can. It's not, if you're tired, your body will, will bounce back if you just um, keep refueling it, like putting gas in the gas tank, get something to eat, have some chews, get a gel, um, walk until you get that second win, that third win, and then, and then you can start moving again. It's really sometimes that's where the patience comes in. And that's where knowing that your body can do so much more than you ever think possible. It's really kind of pushing back the limits of your mental, where you mentally are, because your body will bounce back. I mean, I'm talking safely, you know, you're not going to push yourself to where you feel like you're going to have a heart attack or if you have an injury, that's a whole different thing. But if you're just tired, you can push back that you can push back those downs. Yeah. And again, it all goes back to things, lessons we learn from mothering, you know, the, the patience and the, that you can put so much more in than you think you have. That's it. You know, when you think about it, when you're exhausted as a mother and you are so tired that you can't even think straight and you're just going to lose your mind. And then the baby starts crying mm-hmm. and you have to get up out of that bed because yeah. <laughs> nobody else is going to go get that kid. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, those are, that is, that's endurance. That's, yeah. That's tough. (laughs) Nobody knows unless they've been through it. You know what? Right. right. Exactly. So, uh, so final question, what's, what's next on your racing calendar? Um, next month I'm doing the Leadville 100. Oh, um, it's in Colorado and it's one of the biggies. Uh And one of the highest. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. It's up to 12,000 feet. Most, I think it starts at 9,000 and it's up over 12,000 foot hope pass and back up over again. So my daughters are crewing for me, Bailey and Taylor Sheridan, my faithful crew. And they're awesome. They're darling. Oh yeah. 24 and 25. And Oh, I just fell in love with them in the book. They just seem so wonderful and so full of energy (laughs) and support. They they're awesome. If we could all raise such great daughters. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed. They're adorable. Yeah. Nice. So, and have you done Leadville before? I have not. Oh, that's exciting. 
Yes. Very, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with that, Molly. Thank you so much. Thanks. And thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Sarah. Take care. It's been a pleasure. Great. Okay. Great thanks, fun talking Sarah. with you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, Allison, I just loved some of Molly's uh, advice, especially the part about never quit because you're tired. I I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, And uh, she's an amazing runner. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, With some amazing advice. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Which again can be found in Running Past Midnight, a woman's ultra marathon adventure. So now let's segue over to our challenge corner, which comes from Heather Scalf. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Heather is part of our AMR Find Your Strong 10K Challenge. And it's kind of a long quote, but Dimity and I uh, talked about this and we really think all of it is worth reading. So here goes. Just want to share with all of you how much I'm loving and growing from this challenge. I started running about five years ago when I needed to lose baby weight and didn't have time to commit to a workout class or count food group points. What I loved then was being able to put on shoes and take off when and where it was convenient for me. After training four and running two halves, I began to encounter injuries and issues with no knowledgeable or experienced voice to help guide me. Eventually, I got burned out and assumed running was not for me. I signed up for the 10K challenge after a simple conversation with the Bammer, who helped me understand that my running issues were normal and completely manageable. Since then, I've gained a whole new appreciation for hydration. I love this. She says, you can pry my noon out of my cold, dead hands. Um, which won't happen because she'll be well hydrated. Um, Nutrition. I recognize now that goo is not a gimmick and cross training. I'm rediscovering my love of yoga. I'm not just gaining an exercise routine. I'm changing my lifestyle with my husband's support and under the watchful eye of our two daughters. I hope they're learning from me the importance of taking care of our bodies without comparing and being critical of ourselves. A lot of information about me I know, but you have to know that each kudo and comment is so motivating and encouraging as I continue to improve and gain miles. And, you know, I really feel that kind of harkens back to Molly's whole thing about how parenting and mothering is really interwoven with running and that, you know, that that both gain from each other and both borrow elements from each other. And I love the fact that another Bammer was able to speak to her concerns because I think so often we're so tough on ourselves, particularly women, that Mm -hmm. we don't give ourselves a little bit of a break and just try to take a new approach. Nice, nice. So the song that I thought would uh, work well on this and, and totally feeds into your point is Lean On by Major Lazer. So for more from us, please head on over to our Facebook page. We'd appreciate if you would like it. It is Run Like a Mother, the book. Follow us, please, on Twitter and Instagram. We are at The Mother Runner. Our two websites are anothermotherrunner.com and motherrunnerstore.com. Our three books, Run Like a Mother, Train Like a Mother, and Tales from Another Mother Runner, they all make great summer reading. And no matter how many miles you're going, may they all be happy. 